in every way I can't wait to look in the mirror Cause I get better looking each day I've always wanted a walk-on song. Yeah, you ever struggle with humility? Anybody raise your hand. Anybody struggle with humility? Some of you are struggling with lying. How about you? I was going to name today's sermon, How to Be Humble, like me. Today we're going to turn to Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 14, but before we do that, uh, let's just take a moment and uh, quiet ourselves before God. I believe he wants to speak to us this morning, so let's just focus our attention and our hearts towards him. Oh God, would you speak this morning? We're listening. You're here. There is power in the scripture and your word. And so for the next few moments, can we, would you help us to set aside all of the tasks and concerns of the day and open our heart to receive whatever it is that you want to say to us? And as we receive from you, would you help us to become more like you? Amen. For most of my, my life, I have received this, this vague piece of advice. Mike, just be yourself. It seems like good advice. Just, just follow your heart. You do you. Almost every animated film I've ever seen has that theme. Just be yourself, which, I mean, who else am I going to be? However, just being myself is not always a great thing. Because I can be ruthlessly selfish. It's just who I am, just being me. I can be greedy. Oh, I can be stubborn. Ask my wife. I can be subtly manipulative, but that's just me. Being me. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't have self-esteem, because you are valuable in the eyes of God. You reflect his image. In Genesis chapter 2, the scripture tells us that you were created in God's image and in God's likeness, the very work of his hands, and his original opinion of you is it was very good. But there's a difference between self-esteem and an overinflated sense of self-regard. The National Institute of Health has declared that we, right now as a Western culture, are living in a narcissistic epidemic. From the year 1979 to 2006, according to the National Institute of Health, narcissism has increased by 30% which is a rather large number. Another survey of of a million high school students found that 70% 
believed they were above average in leadership ability, and only 2% thought that they were below average. And in terms of ability to get along with others, all students said they were above average. 60% thought they were in the top 10%, and 25% thought they were in the top 1%. Oh, and it's not just students. 94% of teachers thought they were above average. All, all of which is a, a statistic impossibility. It, could it be that we do think we're a little bit better than we really are? I mean, we were, we were created to glorify God, and yet it seems like we live in an age of glorifying self. I mean, I mean 60% of Americans between the ages of 24 and 40 would say that when they need to make an important life-altering decision— It's not based on logic or higher morality or ethics, but simply how I feel about it. See, something else happened that adds to all this. In the year 2010, 2010 was a significant year because a product came out called the iPhone 4. The iPhone 4 was the first phone to have a front-facing camera. And it is said now that many of us, by the time that we die, will have taken 20,000 pictures of our face. That's a lot of you. (laughs) It's now said statistically that you have a better chance of dying from taking a selfie than you do being killed by a shark. The effect of self-glorification is apathy towards others and indifference, if not hostility towards God. Which I think puts us in a difficult place. But Jesus, of course, offers a better way, an antidote for that which ails us. And so on this fourth Sunday of Lent, we are going to gather, meet Jesus at the table of humility. Luke chapter 12 is the beginning of Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure, for his death. And he's teaching them and showing them how to live a life when he's not around. By the time we come to Luke chapter 14, Jesus is once again uh, at a Pharisee's house. He's eating a meal. He's at a banquet. Jesus spends a lot of time with people around the table. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, we read that one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Have you ever been carefully watched? It's unnerving. It's frustrating. Jesus has to watch every move he makes. But there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling in his body, which sounds horrible. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Because see, the question he's asking is, is healing work? Because Jews are not allowed to work on the Sabbath. It's, It's a sin. So is it lawful then to perform a miracle, to heal on the Sabbath? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him, and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, 
Will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Jesus, he did it again. Backed us into a corner. We have no response. This all takes place at a banquet at the Pharisee's house. Well, they, they go on, they kind of ignore Jesus, and they all begin to choose their seats at the banquet. Seating at banquets and receptions is, is complicated if you've ever planned uh, for one. Developing a seating chart for, say, a wedding, that is filled with landmines. I mean, who gets to sit closest to the bride and groom, and, and who are those poor souls that have to sit at the table so far away? Those are the tables nobody likes, right? The, the, they go to the back. And who, what will we do if we have to put crazy Uncle Bill next to this family? It's going to be a disaster. How do we arrange all of this? It can be nerve-wracking. See, in the ancient Near East... <laughs> I thought there was a fire. <laughs> in the ancient Near East, tables were in a U-shape. And the host would sit at the middle of the U... And those that were seated closest to the host were those of most honor. It's the most honorable spot. And so everyone wanted to sit next to the host. And so Jesus sees a teaching opportunity. Now we come to verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table closest to the host, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more dignified than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. See, in the first century, most important guests would arrive a little late so they could make a grand entrance. We might refer to it as being fashionably late. And so Jesus is not in this moment just giving adequate on on banquet seating, but he's speaking to an honor-shame culture. See, see, Jesus' first century hearers lived in this culture of giving and receiving either honor or shame. And as a result, they they were intensely sensitive to issues of status and recognition. So see, in honor and shame cultures, there are things that you could do that would bring shame to not only yourself, but to your family for generations. But there were also things that you could do that would bring honor to your family for generations. And so there was this 
preoccupation with status and bringing honor to your family. And so when Jesus told this story, it would have seemed remarkable in their culture to suggest that they should take a lower seat. Maybe it was even offensive. But see, see Jesus uses this as an opportunity for a deeper, a deeper lesson. How we position ourselves before God and others matters. See, the word that Jesus uses to describe this position is the word humility. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Which is so countercultural. In a society that just says, you do you, live your truth, you're a goddess, you're a god. You're a king, you're a queen. It's not a very popular idea. And it's hard. As Jesus said in, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20, so the last will be first and the first shall be last. I mean, last is not a coveted position, is it? We want to be winners. Nobody wants to be a loser. A few years ago, I played in a golf scramble and my team came in dead last. At the banquet, because there's always a banquet after, they gave out prizes to the different teams, the winning teams. But the team that came in last place also got a prize. We received bowling tickets. The suggestion was find a different sport. <laughs> Two years ago, uh, in our fantasy football league, we have a staff fantasy football league at Northbrook in Two years ago, I came in dead last, mostly because Pastor John Malstead rigged it, but that's a sermon for a different day. Like, nobody, nobody wants to be last. The Puritan Jonathan Edwards once wrote, we must view humility as one of the most essential things that characterizes true Christianity. There are two words that come from the Latin root word humilitas. The first one is the word humiliation. The word humiliation means to be put low, like by somebody else. It's the awful experience of being conquered or, or shamed. If you want to know what true humiliation is, if you're into March Madness and college basketball, what happened to Purdue, that is humiliation. And that was the dominant usage of the word in Jesus' day. Humilitas meant to be humiliated. But Jesus shifts the way it's used because there's a second word, and that's the word humble. It doesn't mean to be put low. It means to lower yourself and to redirect your power in service to others. See, as you look at the, the whole corpus of the scripture, the word humility essentially means quiet confidence, Strength under control with a strong regard for others. There's a story that's been told about strength under control. It's a bit of a legend. I don't know how much truth there is to it. But it takes place in the 1930s in Detroit, Michigan. The story begins with three young men boarding a city bus. They were just kind of wound up guys looking for 
looking for a fight. And so there was a individual at the back of the bus minding his own business. And so these three young men decided to taunt him, make fun of him. So they said all kinds of things to him and he didn't respond at all. They insulted him, nothing. So they turned up the heat a little bit, tried to get him to react. He wouldn't react. He didn't say a word to them. Eventually the bus stopped and the individual stood up. He was a bit bigger than they had anticipated. He approached the three young men who'd been insulting him, making fun of him, trying to get him worked up, reached into his pocket, pulled out a business card, handed it to the three young men and got off the bus. When the three young men looked at the business card, there were only three words on it. And it said, Joe Lewis, boxer. They tried to pick a fight with a man who would be the heavyweight champion of the world from 1937 to 1949. Some say he was better than Muhammad Ali. Strength under control. And quiet quiet confidence. See, quiet confidence is having a right view of yourself. Humility is having an accurate view of yourself. Not thinking more of yourself than you ought, but also not thinking less of yourself than you ought. See, the Apostle Paul says it this way in the book of Romans chapter 12. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are, but be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Some versions say, think of yourself with sober judgment, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. So be the you that God has designed you to be. So the word humility, as used by Jesus, is, is, a, is an attitude. It's, a, it's, a, it's an action. And so the, the attitude of humility begins with a strong regard for others. Now writing to the Philippian church, the apostle Paul says this, you should have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on the cross you have the same mindset as Christ and use it in service to others one of my Heroes, whose long dead is a Dutch priest named Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was an esteemed academic. He taught at Notre Dame, Yale, and Harvard. He is the author of 42 books. And when he was alive, was sought after as a lecturer and conference speaker in both Catholic and Protestant circles. He was so well known. But halfway through his career, he gave all the prestige up to go live and work at a home in Toronto for the severely handicapped, those that could not take care of themselves. He became their chaplain and became a caregiver in this community called daybreak. He was in charge while he was there of a man named Adam. Adam could not do anything on his own. 
It took two hours each morning to get Adam out of bed, dressed, fed, ready for the day. And then in the evening, it also took another two hours to get him ready for bed. Well, in the midst of all this, Henry Nouwen was invited to the White House. Hillary Clinton had been reading his books and had become intrigued with Henry Nouwen's writings on gratitude and forgiveness, and she wanted his counsel. The first lady married to the President of the United States. But Henry declined. He said, I don't want to be the court chaplain. I am here with Adam, my disabled friend. There are others who can go to the White House. Adam needs me. And that, my friends, is humility. That is strength under control. That is quiet confidence. See, Jesus isn't against giving honor to those who are due honor. He's not against giving respect to others who deserve respect. What Jesus would be against is ego and arrogance. So see, the the action of humility is this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If we would just do that, that one thing, we would change the whole world. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value the other above yourself. Whenever I perform a wedding ceremony, I always require a series of pastoral counseling sessions, premarital sessions. And at the very first session, I I look at the couple and I often say, I'm going to give you the secret to marriage. If you do this, I can almost almost 100% guarantee your marriage will be a success. Do you want to know what it is? Well, of course, who wouldn't want to know what that is? It's this. Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value the other above yourself. Because, like, see, if you value her above yourself and she values you above yourself, who wouldn't want that? It's the secret sauce of the Christian faith. But something gets in the way. Pride. In history, pride is seen as the deadliest of vices, but it is now celebrated as a virtue. Oh, we are so good of having a high view of ourselves, And because of that, we are now all experts in everything. Economics, world affairs, politics, healthcare, education, and of course we're right. And there's no room for a divergent opinion because of course, who could disagree with me? C.S. Lewis wrote in the book Mere Christianity, the great sin, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are me flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. See, pride. 
pride causes a psychological inversion in which God becomes small and I become big. Often we exalt ourselves among others, sometimes even in the name of God, because spiritual pride is oh so deadly. Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan, continues writing in 1737, The first and worst cause of errors that abound in our day and age is spiritual pride. This is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the advancement of Christ. It is the chief inlet of smoke from the bottomless pit to darken the mind and mislead the judgment. Pride is the main handle by which he has a hold of Christian persons and the chief source of all the mischief that he introduces to clog and hinder the work of God. Spiritual pride is the main spring or the main support of all other errors until this disease is cured. Medicines are applied in vain to heal all other diseases. As spiritual pride increases, arrogance take charge and people suffer. There is such a thing as spiritual abuse. About 17 years ago, uh, my wife and I uh, were living uh, with her parents. We had sold a house. We're waiting for another house to be built. And my wife walked in and found her mother on the floor. She had suffered a brain aneurysm that took her life at 59 years old. Some of you have heard this story. It was a very difficult time for us, a very difficult time for our marriage, a very difficult time for uh, the ministry that we served in our church. My wife and her mother were best of friends, and so when you suffer a catastrophic loss, life seems to just stand, stand still for a moment. And life stood still for us. Uh, we had a difficult time functioning. I was probably neglecting my duties a little bit at our church, but I suppose that could be expected. And my wife had kind of backed away from everything, and people wondered, where is she? And the only response that could be given was, she's in grief. Well, there was a woman in our church, an older woman, uh, who we looked to as a mentor, a spiritual mentor. And she took my wife out to lunch in the midst of of all this grief, in the midst of my wife kind of checking out from things. And they sat down from each other across the table, and this woman looked at my wife, and my wife was just kind of sharing what she was going through. And this woman looked at my wife in the eye, and she said, the reason you're going through what you're going through right now is because you are a whore of selfishness. Spiritual pride is devastating. Spiritual pride is tragic, and it is oh so easy to see pride in others, but oh so difficult to see it in myself. The writer of Proverbs says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. 
And so the posture that we, we are called to have is humility before God. Humility gets the attention of God. The prophet Isaiah says, this is the one to whom I will look, says the Lord. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. He who is contrite in spirit, he who has an accurate view of himself or herself, not thinking too much of yourself, but not thinking too little, having sober judgment, realizing I am a very flawed human being, and someone who trembles at my word, an individual who knows how to handle the word of God, hold the word of God with humility, not as a weapon, Not calling someone a whore of selfishness because they're suffering, but holding the word of God with humility. And then holding that same humility before others. For all who humble themselves will be exalted, and all who exalt themselves will be humbled. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. Humility is not surrendering our convictions, it's not minimizing our strength, it's not diminishing our achievements. It's having a right view of myself. It's quiet confidence. It's strength under control. It's high regard for others. I found it nearly impossible to be humble on my own. Maybe you have too. I've tried. It doesn't come easy. But the great promise of Jesus is he's sent us his spirit. And so we can ask the Spirit for his help because on my own, I keep failing. And so as a next step, I'm like, how do I be humble? How, where do I even start? I've tried, I can't do it. So I'm going to give you a next step for this week. God, I can't do it on my own. I've tried I know I'm arrogant. I know I can be proud. And so, God, would you help me to live a life of humility? Oh, God, would you help me to consider others better than myself? Would you help me, oh, God, to have the same mind as Christ Jesus? who being God actually became a servant. God, I cannot do it on my own. I need your help. Amen. Before you go, just a friendly reminder that Easter is coming just a few short weeks away. And I hope you'll join us first on Good Friday as we remember uh, the death of Christ. We have two worship gatherings here in our main sanctuary at 1 o'clock and 7 o'clock. Our chapel, however, next door will be open from 12 until 8. For anyone that wants to just come in and have private prayer, I'd love for you to be a part of that. Child care is available up to age 4. And then on Easter weekend, we have five services, two on Saturday, 4.30 and 6, Sunday 8, 9 and 10.30 child care and all of them. And finally, uh, one of the highlights of Easter is we perform baptisms. And if you have not been baptized, we would love to invite you to be a part of that. We've opened up a, up a bunch of spots. You can call Tracy at the church office or email us at info at This is all on our website. 
And as you leave today, we've got a whole bunch of these little invite cards on tables outside the door. Grab a few of them and encourage you to invite someone to come with you on Easter. Love for that to happen here. And so now, as you go, go in God's grace, in God's peace, and may we all be a reflection of Christ's humility. Amen. Amen.